Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with Andreas Palm and Christian Larson, co-founders of CDLP, the seven-year-old brand that came to market to reinvent men's underwear and make it a more thoughtful, intentional purchase. Think Bombas for socks, but masculine and sexy to the nth degree. It's since expanded to women's underwear, as well as sleepwear, swimwear, and PJs. And according to the homepage, there's recently been a jockstrap launch. I wanted to ask the founders about their growth plans, including international expansion, considering their Stockholm headquarters. What's next in the U.S.? Welcome to you, Andreas. Thank you so much, Jill. So happy to have you here. Hey, Christian. Thrilled to be here. Thanks for having us. (laughs) Where are you guys phoning in from? You're in your headquarters, yeah? I'm in headquarters in Stockholm, Sweden. And I am in uh, Cape Town, South Africa, uh, shooting our new swimmer campaign. Oh, fantastic. Let's dig in because, Christian, you are creative director. Um, Tell me a little bit about your background. My background is as a film director and photographer in the uh, uh, music and commercial world. So shooting big campaigns for uh, a lot of the big luxury brands and lifestyle brands, uh, ranging from fashion, perfume, cars, uh, and uh, and uh, anything else in between. So love to uh, create visual worlds, uh, to make things look beautiful, and love to uh, build brands. Well, Andreas, what was your background prior to 2016? You are CEO. I'm CEO, yes. Uh, I went to business school, and then I got an opportunity right after that to um, take... Um, the helm at a uh, fashion brand, a Swedish designer based in London called Anne-Sophie Back. Um, I would say one of our best designers that we've ever had coming from Sweden. Um, very avant-garde um, and a huge learning experience for me to see that um, sometimes the, the, the fashion and the, and the items that are hailed by press is not um, easy to make a commercial success. So she had a huge following in, in terms of you know, the buyers and, and, and press, but it was a bit hard to, to reach a critical mass in terms of, of commercial success. Um, so I did that for uh, three years in London, and then I started um, a brand agency based in Stockholm. And then around 2014, me and Christian felt that we had another adventure in us and that that adventure would be together. So that's when we started um, the, the first drafts, uh, rough drafts of what would become CDLP. Amazing. What were you seeing in, in men's underwear? What was the opportunity there? Well, there was there was not much there to see. So I think there was a, a <laughs> an, an opening for, for someone to reinvent it. Um, at the time, the market of men's underwear was filled with the the big the big brands um, and uh, it was all very um, uh, streamlined and it all kind of looked the same. Um, it turned out to us, which we knew little about before, that it was all made by the same manufacturers um, and it was all just a change of branding. Um, but that was sort of on the product side. First and foremost, we we felt that there was missing something that uh, made this product into something desirable, uh, something more than a necessity, something to care about. And that was the starting point for, for our venture. And I think we never cared about underwear really ourselves because there was not much, as Christian said, to care about. <laughs> we had no reason to care really. And uh, we uh, pretty much designed for ourselves in the beginning. It's a product that we felt was uh, that we wanted to wear. 
Yes. And something that mattered, I guess, there uh, beyond looks, there is a sustainability component. Um, what more, I guess, is speaking to, uh, I guess, the new underwear, your, your model that, that's different than others? Well, first of all, the, the product just wasn't that great or it wasn't really special. So we tried to make a product that was um, um, second to none. That was something that you put on and you really felt that this was a, a garment made of quality. And then if you scratched at that surface, you should also realize that that product was made very responsible and sustainable. Um, so uh, we um, started to work with a fabric called Lyocell, which is a wood pulp based fabric. Um, but it beats the convention of cotton by far in terms of uh, the way it feels, it flows, it uh, breathes. And um, um, yeah, it just became a, a product that was so much better than the uh, uh, convention what people were using at the time. So uh, I think when we started to get our product onto people, they could really feel it. And I think that's the, that's the starting point here. Yes. Let's talk about that path to getting the product onto people. <laughs> um, you talked about kind of what resonates and getting brands in front of the shopper, Andreas. Um, I mean, first of all, what, who's the shopper you're targeting? Who's the shopper we're targeting? Uh, it's a really broad customer. I mean, we, we, um, in the beginning, we, our initial thought or our initial, um, Con con conviction was that there must be other men out like us out there that are looking for something else, so uh, something that is um, has has more love that uh, in in the production and and in terms of choosing uh, materials and and factories and and the way it looks. So um, again, as as we we pretty much designed for ourselves and then we put the product out there and then we saw the saw the response and immediately. We had transactions uh, or purchases from from pretty much all over the world. When we launched the website in, two th in the summer 2016, pretty fast we had, um, obviously because we launched with it and the launch went in Sweden and, and we had a pretty, pretty strong Stockholm traction. Um, but quite soon thereafter, we had we had orders from 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 pretty much everywhere, especially the U.S., the U.K., Germany, and so forth. But I think we were up to you know 20 customers from 20 countries in the first one to two months. And then we had, um, I mean, it's, it's in the beginning when you launch a D2C brand, you need someone to talk about it, right? You need to, you put your Instagram out there and then you put some, some digital ads. But pretty fast, I think it was, we launched in, in, in May, June, in, in, in July, we got a feature in GQ, uh, UK. Uh, in, in, in August, we got a feature in Esquire UK. And what they, what they, what they wrote about was the kind of, they, they, they wrote about a new masculinity and the way that Christian portrayed men. And they wrote about sustainability. And today, sustainability is something that everyone speaks of. But at the time, in 2016, there was at least what we could see no other brands in the category that spoke about sustainability or had anything to say. Uh, because as Christian said, most of them just, uh, produced in the same factories in, in, in the cheapest cotton they could find. So uh, there was a bit of newness to, to, to the brand and, and, and what we brought to the market. And I think with these first features... Um, we, we, we started seeing, uh, more traction in these markets, in these bigger markets, UK and US. And at the same time, we started, um, talking to, to, uh, to stores that we wanted to, that stores that we ourselves uh, always visited, uh, when we were. So we started working with Maxfield in LA, um, apartment in Berlin and a store in Stockholm called Jews. And all of a sudden we had their clientele. So the people that came there and, and which meant, so, so I, say, I would say the first customer we had was someone who really likes to discover new products and, and probably uh, go to these types of store. Um, but it was a pretty narrow, narrow, narrow customer in the beginning. 
uh, I would say. You mentioned Andreas Masculine um, and also uh, obviously giving some people something to talk about um, in the under men's underwear space. Obviously, GQ would cover it. <laughs> it's something more. Um, but Christian, like, do you describe it, it masculines the the vibe we're creating here? Uh, do you say sexy? I think I read somewhere that CDLP stands for gift from God. <laughs> Is that right? It, a French phrase, gift from God. Yeah, it's a French saying, uh, cadeau de la providence means a special gift or a, a moment when something feels like a special gift. Um, so, um, it's a, it's a beautiful French saying that uh, is our name. And, uh, uh, we chose that name, um, because, uh, it is those small details that makes the whole, um, uh, sometimes, uh, if the sun comes through the clouds and it's a summer day and you're with people that you love and then there's that little, little stream of sun that comes through that makes the, the overall full experience full, um, amazing, you know, and that's a, a gift of providence. Um, and we believe that the right essentials can, can be that sometimes. And, uh, that could be, uh, underwear, for example. But I think what, what we, what we, what we uh, scratched on the surface of here was that um, when you talk about masculinity and sexiness and stuff, is was that there had been a lot of ch- uh, lot happening in the women's underwear market as far as how women were portrayed and um, um, yeah, how the brands were expressing themselves. But in the men's underwear market, it was very. Um, it was very much all the same. Uh, men were portrayed in white photographic studios in black and white, and it was football players that were flexing their abs. And um, it wasn't really something that me and Andres could relate to. And we were missing that there was a another perspective on it, another lens on it. And that's when I felt that I could contribute with something with my with my camera and my lens and to start to um, yeah explore a different type of masculinity uh, in the underwear market. So the result was that we shot something that was very documentary and uh, felt very honest, I think, and that sexiness came from characters and personalities rather than their bodies. And um, uh, that together with the products, I think, uh, really worked. Definitely. It's definitely um, your approach um, in terms of content, the look, the aesthetic. Um, It's there's a look, I would say, as everything's going raw and everything's going like um, non-curated and TikTok vibes, um, you, you're really staying here. I know you're on TikTok as of February 2022. I did my homework, but this is like the, the vibe has not changed. Um, it's definitely signature, I would say, CDLP. You can tell that that's yours. Is that intentional? I think that's expensive, <laughs> but tell me about st- um, sticking to your guns here. Uh, I think so. Uh, you have to stick to your uh, guns when you build the brand. For us, it needs to be something personal, something that you see that has a signature style to it. And I believe that we have something that looks quite quite signature when it comes to our imagery and our campaigns. And uh, perhaps that I usually hold the camera and uh, and direct. Um, and I think that that's good. It's like the brand has a, a special tone of voice and a special aesthetic. Um, but we do also work with other photographers and filmmakers and creators. So um, the brand has a DNA and then when that DNA is strong and it's interpreted by other creatives I think it still it still exists in in, in images so um, yeah I believe a lot in consistency definitely 
Well, Andreas, you mentioned some key retail partners out of the gate, the big guys. Like, I mean, I know the power of Barney's as a launch pad back in the day. You were at Barney's. Um, how key were those? Were you maybe out of the gate, uh, 75% wholesale? And, and where are you now? Uh, we've always been e-com heavy. I mean, direct channels have, have always been the main part of our business. But you cannot understate the, the importance of having you know, these partners. I mean, in the beginning, you normally don't get any press if you, it's hard to get press if you don't have any stores. It's hard to get stores if you don't get any press. It's a, <laughs> a little bit, you need to get past that, right? So that's why I mentioned that the first like Maxville and apartment in Berlin. After that, we could start having a dialogue with, with uh, Mr. Portrait Matches Fashion, uh, Browns and so forth. Uh, I think all of those were super important for us. Uh, we have a department store in Stockholm, Sweden called NK, which is the department store. I think that was, that was uh, key for us to win our home market because, um, I mean, there are huge underwear brands out there. And, and in the direct-to-consumer era, I think the benefit was that anyone could start a brand, right, and say, we make the best of this and this. But the, the problem was that, you know, um, there was 100 brands a month that started saying, like, we're disrupting this, we're disrupting this. And no one really knew, uh, you know, someone had to validate that. And it's, it's sometimes that's not enough to do on your webpage and your Instagram. But when... Mr. Porter, for instance, right when we started working with them, they, they made a feature and they said our favorite underwear brands. And it was us uh, at number one and there were two other ones that have been around for, you know, 50, 60 years. So, that, of course, that gave a lot of validation to us as a brand um, when Mr. Porter writes something like that. And same thing with Barney's. Um, it was a big milestone. Unfortunately, we could only be with them for like one and a half years before they closed down. Rest in peace. We really miss them. Uh, but, but, yeah, so we opened up with them in New York, uh, Chicago, uh, San Francisco from the get-go. I've had a great relationship with them. So I think all of those things in the beginning, I think today for us adding a new a new wholesale partner wouldn't make that much of a difference. I mean, in a new market, it could help uh, potentially. Uh, we have some, some, some great wholesale partners in the Middle East. Um, we just launched a new fixture with Harrods. I think, you know, getting to that type of clientele is important. It adds to the business. But in the beginning, I would say for a brand, um, that, that, that goes up against the giants like we did, I think it's, it's, um, it's key to get that type of validation. So it was super important. Uh, wholesale for us has never been more than, between 15 and 30 percent um more more on the lower side so last year i think wholesale was around 20 maybe 22 this year we're probably going under 20 um so it's always been there it's, it's part of the uh, it's 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 a super important part of our distribution strategy but primarily then 80 percent is direct channels and then five percent in a retail store and 75 percent online so primarily direct sales is, is is how we build the business um but i can't stress enough how important it is to to get the validation and also introduction to the new to um, to new audiences through through wholesale. Yeah, talk about those um, markets. Where are you? Where's your customer globally? Um, the the um, the biggest market for us has been for the last two or three years the U.S. Uh, by a wide margin, I would say. So big cities. Um, there's a lot of customers in New York, uh, Miami, uh, L.A., Austin, uh, but spread out throughout the country. We have one customer in Arizona who, you know, one of our top spending customers um, in a city that I never heard of. So they're really everywhere. And back to the, when I when I said that we we really have a wide range of, of, of customers. It's you know it started probably with a guy reading Esquire or Fantastic Man and so forth. Uh, but it's really is, and we I I feel we reached out uh, to a much larger audience. And and Chris and I love that to see the to see the variety. And one of our favorites. 
five favorite uh, customer emails we got was from this uh, almost 70-year-old man who said he, for the first time in his life, felt a sensual feeling uh, wearing our underwear. And, you know, that's what we aim for, is to, to be able to, to have men actually feel something when they put on a product. So it is, it is, a, it is a wide-ranging customer that is primarily based in the U.S., UK, um, Germany, uh, Sweden is still in the top five. Of course, this is our home market. Um, and we're looking to see, um, we haven't really started expanding in Asia, but we see a big potential for Asia. For sure. Is it necessary to have, what does it mean logistically to make that make sense financially, I guess? Do you need feet on the ground in the US? Is it about having, um, yeah, a warehouse in the US? Like what operations are happening here? Um, you can deliver pretty well to the US from anywhere in the world. So I think, you know, we can do express shipping one day uh, or overnight. And, and I think we'll reach our, our US consumers pretty fast. Um, but we will open up, since it's become such a dominant market for us, we will open a warehouse in the US to serve our US customers better. Um, I think that that makes sense. And then see if we will have, you know, two to three warehouses. And also I think working with 3PL, uh, third-party logistics partners is 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 easier today to say to have five warehouses instead of one. So uh, we have a super experienced logistics director who's looking into how to do that in a in a, in a more seamless way. So yeah, opening up in the US is abs- is definitely something we're we're looking at. Um, but apart from that, it's 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 pretty much the same. And now we have two people on the ground in the US, so we're also hoping to expand a team over there to have feet on the ground. Uh, I think it's essential. Yeah, I think we would not have grown as fast in the U.S. if we didn't have, and, and, and one of our uh, team members has been there since 2000, working with us since, since 2018. So that, that has really been part of why the expansion in the U.S. has been faster. Let's talk marketing. I think, um, I don't know if it's called Journal. You've got this amazing um, landing page on your site um, with all of your beautiful content, whether it is like a maybe a guest photographer or an interview with somebody cool. (laughs) Um, But tell me about how you're slicing and dicing, I guess, your content, um, Christian. And also, yeah, what is worth investing in on the marketing front? Well, first of all, I think we have had this belief that uh, our company and our our brand um, should be exciting to be a part of. Um, uh, If you shop once in a while or often or rarely, it shouldn't matter. You should have um you should you should be able to have a connection to CDLP and be interested in the brand and what it does even if you're a regular shopper or not so um for us that is uh, to create visual uh, visual things and storytelling so i try to see CDLP as an ongoing cinematic narrative so to speak um that you step into different chapters of of uh yeah our campaigns and that it uh, feels like it's part of an ongoing narrative um that's i guess the overall uh, concept of what we do in our um creative department um when it comes to marketing um that's maybe the second part, you know, first of all, build a very strong brand and uh, that that has a a strong identity and that it reaches out on its own, that the content is relevant and it's uh, beautiful and it uh, is something that people like to see. Um, And then secondly, it's about how you distribute it and how you then put it in front of the right people. Um, That is definitely always a a challenge, but if the content is good, uh, it gets feet on its own. Tell me about 
the rise in menswear. Men are shopping more is what I'm hearing. Um, But we just recently, for instance, had John Legend on the beauty podcast, and he was talking about um, not only the changing definition of masculinity, but also, yeah, men caring more (laughs) about their appearance, their self-care, and maybe it's a pandemic effect. But yeah, are you also seeing more demand from uh, on the men's side, even though you're expanding to women's? I think that we have um we have um our our reason for for being is to to um, um is to be there for that man who started to care more about his uh, his uh, belongings his his garments and uh, I think that uh, most men if you ask around that time wouldn't necessarily have thought that much about underwear they saw it as a necessity um we felt that there was perhaps a bit of a cultural shift where men started to think more about what they wore underneath um and to choose garments more carefully, um, allowing themselves to also feel uh, sensual, I think. Um, uh, perhaps if I asked my dad, if like, did you ever feel sensual in your underwear? I don't think he would even know what to answer. Um, but if I ask uh, friends around me now, I think they're much more confident in speaking about their sensuality and, and uh, you know, what, what they feel when they are in their bears. And underwear and is uh, what you put on the first thing in the morning and take off last or not at all. You know, it's the garment you wear the most. So it has a strong connection to the way we are when we are, um, uh, you know, almost nude. And I think that that is uh, something that has uh, changed, definitely. And that, uh, as John Legend speaks of his beauty uh, um, beauty brand, I think that that's exactly what he's tapping into, too. That uh, well, us men are going through a cultural shift in the last uh, 10 years that has been quite dramatic, I think, in the way we think about these things. We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. When you talk about your your shopper and who you're appealing to and the new the new man, like is on the women's side, we hear it time and time again about like you're building this community. Like, do you feel that you have a community where are you connecting with your shopper? Are like events the same, like as big of a piece of the pie as they are on the women's side? Um, what's going on with on the community front? Community. Uh... I don't know, actually. Like, it's. I think it's a little bit harder uh, to build a strong community on the men's side. Perhaps I, I would. I would probably say so. Um, uh, that perhaps men are a bit more one di- one dimensional in the way the communication goes between them and the brand. That they have an opinion, but they perhaps don't communicate back as much as as women. Um, um, that's the way I feel. I, I don't know. I can't back that up. But uh, but I think that we when we put things out, we hear when people like it and we definitely hear if people don't like something uh but perhaps we don't hear the a constant dialogue you know so i guess it's a little bit of a different uh, uh communication between us and our community and uh, perhaps it's the same for other men's more menswear dominated brands i think i think we get a lot of feedback from from the customers i mean when we drop new products uh, on our instagram and so forth and i think the the kind of community that we have i think Again, it's sometimes the fashion industry is not super inviting. I'm not going to say inclusive, but not super inviting. And I think a lot of men that have not really felt that they're, you know, part of it, like feeling like they are part of the or invited to the fashion industry. Sometimes when they um, buy our stuff and they get that feeling, they feel like they're part of the brand. That's, that's, That's what we 
have felt um, like this old man that that sent us that email, and we get other 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 emails like that. And yes, that as Christian said, men care more. And and when we look back when we founded the brand, we felt why don't why aren't we allowed to get that that feeling uh, when putting things on uh, underwears. Uh, underwear uh, and we wanted to create that and I think that is the community that we have created men that actually um, you know want to feel something when they when they put something on for sure let's talk about growing the business from a team perspective um, because I you know back in 2020 mid-pandemic the vibe the um, notion was by the end of 2021 50% of our staff will be working remotely your PR person told me <laughs> Um, is that happening? And um, is it even more so remote? Uh, we're not more remote than that, I would say. Um, I mean, we're split up. Um, most people are based here in the in the in the head office in, in in Stockholm. Two people, as Christian said, are in based in New York, and one guy is based in Paris. So that is approximately um, fifteen to twenty percent of the company is not based based here. And then we, I mean, we do work in the office. People. The people that want to come in, come in. And most of the time, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, people spend in the office. Um, and then people can pretty much choose. So I think during the pandemic, uh, you got, you, you got used to working remotely. I, I for one miss being around people. Um, so I try to spend as much time as possible in the office, but I think, uh, do I spend as much time as I did before the pandemic? Probably no. I probably have a more relaxed, um, relation to 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 working hours in the office and I think everyone in our in our team has so we pretty much leave it up to people to decide even though we uh, say you know, three times three days a week we try to be available in the office um, but also I've, I mean I feel it's more people are more open to do their own types of hours so we have uh, a couple of staff members that that that's likes to stay late at night and come a little bit later in, in the day. And I think um, we we as a business is much more flexible to that. So um, fully remotely, but I also I also need to add that we are based in Stockholm. Stockholm has a great startup scene and there's a we have a pretty good talent pool for being such a small city. At the same time, um, when we try to build a company that's that 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 has a global footprint. Uh, we need to also tap into the global talent pool. So if we would find a person who does not want to live move to Sweden, uh, we would be much op- more open now to have them working remotely, like two people in New York and one in Paris. And I think that the people that work uh, completely remotely, not in Stockholm at all, just coming here a couple of times per year, I think that that number will grow. I think the people based in Stockholm will probably be most of the time in the office because primarily because of their own choice. Nice. Well, who have been some key hires lately? I know you hired a design director when you expanded to uh, the women's. How how important was that? Oh, uh, that was key. We started, uh, I mean, a design house without a a uh, <laughs> without a, a head designer in the beginning, um, and um, we knew that that person was out there. And a couple of years in, we found. We found her. Um, her name is Ingrid Gudrumson. She's an uh, incredibly experienced designer uh, coming from years of ex- years with Marta Margiela in Paris. She headed up the menswear um, at Alexander Wang. Uh, she's worked with Jeremy Scott and uh, other uh, brands. Uh, so she's a very uh, experienced menswear designer. She uh, started with us to build up the first collection of women's underwear uh, mainly, but she heads up uh, everything that we do. Um, and it's been it's been fantastic to see the brand grow in design with her um, uh, heading up the, that department. And um, yeah, the the um, 
the uh, extensive experience she has really gives the uh, the overall product a a big lift over so uh, and i think what we started there was a dna in our product that was very successful and that she has taken that and translated it into all the other um designs that she's now working on for sure. Well, I want to be sure to ask some of these questions. I'm going to bounce around a little bit, but in talking about your um, DNA and um, again, the vibe, like how key, like you've got this next level where it really like makes a statement among Amazon boxes, <laughs> but like how important, I'm sure it's a, again, an investment to have this great packaging and next level, I guess, experience for the at-home shopper. Um, what, what goes into that? Well, I think first of all, the unboxing experience when you shop from a brand online is uh, essential. It's uh, it's a it's a key moment for when uh, the customer interacts with the brand uh, when it becomes physical. You've seen anything, everything on the screen, um, and you've read about it. You've seen pictures and videos, and then you receive something that is tangible, and that is uh, such a key moment of of uh, uh, yeah of a brand to that that exact experience. So. Uh, we put a lot of effort into having a very luxurious packaging. Um, we believe in it. We believe it, uh, it elevates our product. Um, but a key thing here is flexibility for the customer. Um, so uh, we offer uh, our customers a way to choose if they want something very slim, uh, slim packed, uh, which is a, um, uh, then all the items comes in a very uh, modern uh paper um, that is transparent. It's called glazing paper. Yeah. So they can choose that or they can choose the more extensive uh, um, box packaging. Um, so I think flexibility is really where the luxury is for the customer to be able to choose what they want. And uh, we can see that most people choose to have the full brand experience on their first purchase. And then perhaps they go for a more um, slimmed down package unboxing um, experience on their second and uh, later purchases. Yeah, that makes sense. At one point, I feel like once you find your underwear and you like them a lot, like there's amazing customer loyalty. At one point, there was a subscription service. Is that still happening? Absolutely. Our subscription service is is growing a lot. And it's very exciting to see how people um, opt in to subscribe to their favorites of our collections. So, uh, yeah, that's definitely happening. What does it mean? You get every month? Well, it's no, but we have. Uh, I would say our main, uh, our, our uh, a big share of our customers are repeat customers on specific garments. So, um, underwear by nature is obviously something that you do need to replace once in a while. So, uh, we see it as a service for the customer to be able to put that on automation, so they don't have to remind themselves on when they need to get new underwear. So they can choose a frequency of three to six or or so months, uh, and they get their favorites at Libert. Um, they can also opt in and choose different styles, different colors, and they get other perks on the other collections. So it's a great way for us to create a uh, um, yeah a loyalty system for our customers that they get uh, some perks with uh, um, committing to to staying with us. Andreas, tell me about the flagship, the store. Are more stores coming? What's the role of the store for the brand? Uh, the role of the store is uh, to meet our customer. I mean, we when you sell online, I mean, it's, it's great building an online business, but you, you only have uh, potentially email dialogue with your customers. You don't really meet them. Uh, and since they're spread out, it's, 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 uh, I mean, it's, it's hard to, to, um, to, um, to build that relationship with them. So um, 
the store the store is based in Stockholm, um, which was our biggest market initially, but we still have a, a very strong following, I would say, in Stockholm. So we built, uh, we started the store to um, to offer the full collection and the CDP universe to physically, and I think uh, we saw it a little bit also as a testing ground to to see what we should to learn retail because it's much easier to navigate a store in Stockholm than to if we would uh, start a store in, in Osaka, for instance, or some other key markets. Um, but we really feel that it, may, it, feels, uh, it, feels, it it's an, feels an important role. Um, so the distribution strategy is uh, our own online, the, this small retail store, and then, and then wholesale. And um, there are some customers that just go to the store that never buy online, Stockholm-based. Um, and it's just, it's just a service for the customer to be able to, to service them in a, in a way that, in, so that they can um, choose where they want to purchase. Um, we would, I mean, we started it just before the pandemic. And of course, it was tough to, to, to run a store. The online web performed really well during the pandemic because people were at home and, uh, you know, stock market was going up and people felt they could spend money to, to feel better at home. Um, Whereas the, the obviously both, both the wholesale and the retail took a big hit during the pandemic. So it was hard to evaluate uh, the role of retail during the, during the pandemic. But as since restrictions, um, we didn't have super strict restrictions in Sweden. But after the pandemic kind of uh, faded out, um, it's been super nice to see how the, how the store has flourished. And uh, we would love to open up stores in uh, cities where our customer is. It's just a little bit, takes a little bit more of uh, more commitment to open up in, in, in those cities. But we have discussed uh, opening something up in potentially Paris, London, Miami, or New York. So we'll see what what happens first, but it's definitely going to be part of our distribution strategy going forward. And uh, yeah, we would love to expand that network of source. More commitment, more investment. I know fundraising came into play in January 2020, uh, a $5 million investment. Tell me about your take on fundraising now. Oh, it's, it's, it's different for sure. I mean, I think since we, since the inception of CDLP, we have an economic boom, right? We had it since after the housing crash, um, and that recovery from 2010 and onwards. And then I think there was, I mean, there's always been a huge interest in investing in businesses like us that are direct, direct sales, um, having the relationship with the, with the consumer and steep growth. I mean, we've grown almost a hundred percent year on year since our inception. And then, uh, as I mean, everyone knows uh, in in venture capital or or or, or venture capital funded businesses that 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 all changed in 2022. So um, we, as many other brands, turned from from focusing on growth to profitability, which we're approaching soon. And yes, to make sure that we secure a long runway, because I think. What happened in, in, in those years was that valuations were going up very steeply um, and that changed, I think, primarily in tech, but also in retail. So I think the, the, for us, it's not, we're not building company value just to build company value. We'll be building a great business that will be profitable over time, um, but we were um, venture backed in, 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 the, in, the, in the early years and, and the climate where we were approached by so many people that wanted to invest in, in the last couple of years, that kind of changed last year. So. Um, I feel felt sorry for the, the the there was a lot of great brands that ran out of money last year because all of a sudden the whole venture capital industry just uh, turned 180 degrees and stopped funding businesses. So I mean, for some businesses also it's hard to turn to profitability that fast. Um, but we and some some others have have had the the right circumstances to be able to do so. But I feel bad for for some of the venture capital funded businesses that had plans to become profitable in three to four years time. Um, and had all these, these, this, this interest from people to invest. And all of that, all of a sudden that changed super fast. 
and it just it just shows that you can't rely on external funding um, for a longer period of time because you never know what happens in the macro macroeconomy environment. True story. Tell me about twenty twenty three. What what are your plans? Uh, sustainability. I know that there's like a move to become more traceable, but also like you said, U.S. Um, yeah. What are the goals? Goals is really to, I think that the brand is in a great place right now with, uh, after these years. So it's really about uh, reaching out wider. Um, so um, we have some exciting collaborations coming up um, that are intended to really, um, yeah, showcase new new things from the brand, but also to reach wider audiences, especially on the U.S. side. Um, our women's collection of underwear we launched exclusively with Netta Porter. Uh, that's uh, um, gone really, really well. So we're very happy about that. Now when the exclusivity is uh, is over, we are expanding women's quite a bit this year. So that uh, gets uh, um, a fair bit of focus as well. Um, and uh, apart from that, just uh, making great, exciting things for the world. Andreas, what else do we have? What else do we have? I mean, it's it's you know it's finally 2023. <laughs> I think 2022 was challenging for most brands. Um, in, I mean, it's, it's, we spoke about the venture capital market, uh, but also I think the co- consumer sentiment uh, was weakened pretty dramatically last year. And I think a lot of consumers that in 2021 felt they need to, you know, they had they they, they splurged out on 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 a v- variety of of different things and and brands. I think they held their money back a little bit last year, partly because they had less money, but primarily because media um, said it was the end of the world coming up, right? And I think that is what happens a little bit when recession looms. Um, and then I think I, what, what we hope is that we've seen the worst. Um, we, there's there's talk about the recession, but I think as soon as some le- leading indicators like inflation and interest rates um, churn and in, in the other direction, I think people will start spending a little bit more again. Um, so we have a solid year ahead, I think, uh, in a year that is more challenging, like 22, you need to look at that and take learnings from that. If you don't, I mean, you can't have, you can't, you can't grow 100%, uh, year on year, year after year, and then, uh, despite macroeconomic, um, changes. So, uh, 22 was a bit challenging. We looked at, at uh, what we can do better and we're doing better this year. And we have a fantastic, uh, lineup of new products that we're super excited about, um, both on men's and women's. So yeah, can't, um, can't wait for, for, for this year to, to, to see what it, what it holds for us. But, um, yeah, exciting plans. Well, obviously less challenging than 2022, but if you had to say what, what's like weighing on your mind now, what's challenging you now, what is the big, sore spot <laughs> not for the brand just in your mind i mean as an entrepreneur there's always a hundred issues right uh but i think yes being super um you know looking looking at what what did not work what do we do need to change what do we need to get better uh we made some key hires in the fall um great people that we added to the team to, to just you know raise talent density and, and be a bit more nimble than last year i think a lot of a lot of uh, organizations were probably a little bit too big last year um before before the uh consumer sentiment shifted so yeah being nimble um doing what we're best at that's that's what we need to do keep perfecting products keep um keep 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 doing great stuff and and have fun while doing it i think that is the the recipe because uh sometimes you have you know challenging times but you need to uh, remind yourself why you're doing it and and what the purpose is of everything and if you keep the keep the spirit intact then uh, then you're good was there demand for this jock strap <laughs> Oh, huge, oh, huge, huge, huge demand. We mm-hmm. were surprised. I mean, we released a jock strap in a collaboration with the Tomo Finland Foundation in 2018. I myself had never, never worn a jock strap. 
Um, but it's a great garment. And I mean, do, do, when we launched that, we both wore it to this event and uh, I still wear it. It's a, it's a fantastic product. And I think a lot of men, you know, they have this one type of, of underwear. Historically, they had one style, right? I spoke to my nephew today. He's 21 and I'm, I asked him, he has turned 22 and I asked, what, what is he, what does he want as a Christmas or a birthday present? And he said, and I asked, what styles are you wearing now? He says, I'm, I'm varying between these three styles, right? So, um, so, so, so I think men have more options in, in, in their underwear drawer today. They mix it up a little bit more. So I'm definitely going to give him the size that he's currently wearing plus the jock strap, uh, to add something extra to his, to his underwear drawer. But demand is high. Demand is high. There's a, there's a huge, uh, Huge customer. We have a waiting list. We a have a huge waiting list for it to drop. So uh, it's exciting. <laughs> you are innovating in the underwear space. Hello. Is there any <laughs> area you don't go? Like you, you PJs, swimmer. Like anyway, ready to wear. Is that out of the equation, or we can expect more? I looked at trousers and I was like, ooh, but it's a little bit more PJ esque. But do you say that that's ready to wear? It could kind of cross the lines, or what's your take on that? Oh, definitely. I think our, um, our styles in our categories that are sort of, um, that we call home and pool, uh, it's all ready to wear. People wear it out a lot. So I think that we are, we have our identity with our, the type of garments that we do, but everything is, uh, is ready to wear in one way or the other. Um, we won't expand our, our brand into, I would say, uh, denim and leather jackets. I think that's, that's far off, but I think, uh, ready to wear within what we call, being uh, essentials it's uh, uh yeah the definition is is pretty broad well hey i we were supposed to meet up at paris fashion week and it didn't work out are you guys going to be in new york next week for fashion week unfortunately not but Aww. we will be heading to new york more i really missed going there um we had a showroom the there US last was, week which was, was uh we yeah which was great um but uh, we won't make fashion nice. week this 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 time around next time but we'll let you know when your, we're heading over amid your play for the u.s i mean it sounds you you have a huge customer base in the u.s never mind but anyway you guys so good to chat learn all about all that you're up to and yeah this was great you too thank you so much for having us jill thank you jill that's all for this episode our theme music is by otis mcdonald if you liked this episode be sure to share it with someone else you think would Thanks for listening to the Glossy Podcast.